Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bonas. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Okay, so uh, I'd like to introduce our guest speaker, Beth Stovell. I said it right. Uh, and her husband, John, with no H. <laughs> Important. Uh, uh, she's a professor at Ambrose who teaches both Old and New Testament. Um, her and her husband are involved with Vineyard Canada and have been part of the Epic Vineyard Church. It's totally epic. That joke never gets old, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, she's published numerous books and is currently working on a book for IVP, University Press, uh, called Chaos and Comfort, A Biblical Theology to Suffering and Hope. So please, everybody, give Beth and John a, a, a warm, <laughs> awaken welcome. Nobody's ever said that. I'm never saying that again. <laughs> Thank you for the warm welcome, guys. It is really nice to be here. Um, I have gotten to visit you guys before. We've come, I've come once before and got a chance, and I've gotten to know Nikayla over the years, so I was really honored to get to be here and open up our series um, on the Holy Spirit. So, um, so you can look here. We've got a whole list of different topics, and it's going to focus on a particular passage. We're going to be looking at... Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and how Acts 2, how Peter in Acts 2 uses Joel. So it's an Old Testament, New Testament, Holy Spirit all the time uh, conversation. And um, I was asked by Nikayla to open it up by just talking more broadly about the Holy Spirit. How do we think about the Holy Spirit? Um, and how do we see the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testament? Because I think that can actually help us to frame what you're going to talk about when you focus in on these particular parts of the Bible. Um, and so I'll get us started. So today I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit rushes in. Um, and um, I want to start by just talking a little bit about three things that are going to be what we're going to talk about the whole time. So this week is the Holy Spirit rushes in. Next week, we're gonna, there, you guys are going to be talking about the Holy Spirit pours out. Um, and I think for today, I'm going to talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm a teacher by nature, so I talk about lots of stuff when I preach. It's just what I do. I can't help it. Um, but if you can focus on three things that I'm going to talk about as the core of what, if you get nothing, these three things. One, the Holy Spirit continues the work of Jesus. So when we are concerned, uh, the Holy Spirit can seem kind of strange or weird, uh, sometimes is used in churches in strange ways, and it can feel a little occasionally like, I don't know what to do with this Holy Spirit thing. Um, but what I want to tell you is that scripture is really clear that the Holy Spirit is in line with the work of Jesus. So if we feel like what Jesus does is good, caring for those in need, seeing those on the margins, loving deeply and well, showing us what it looks like to love each other, uh, calling for justice in situations of injustice. If we can say, I align with where Jesus goes, 
then we can say, I align wherever the Holy Spirit goes, because the Holy Spirit continues Jesus's work. And we'll talk about that in a few different ways, but just to, that's the first thing. The second thing, the Holy Spirit cares about healing. Healing those who are hurting and healing a world that's hurting. And so as we look at the different images of the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testament, we'll see over and over again the way the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit transforms physical, spiritual, emotional, vast pain. And also, the Holy Spirit transforms communities and societies. The work of the Holy Spirit is to draw people towards transformation. And that transformation is a transformation that is actively working to change things in our society, things around us that are evil. And by evil, I mean things like the injustice that we see, the violence that we see, um, even just talking about some of the ways we treat the earth, which we talked about, right? So the things where we've gone in directions that hurt the world we're in, that's the work of the Holy Spirit to try and change that and to work through us to do that. Again, to continue the work of Jesus in that. And so I'll highlight different places where this comes, but just those three ideas, the Holy Spirit continues the work of Jesus, heals hurt, and transforms communities. So before I start talking about all of that, I thought I'd tell you a little about me. So I have an interesting story with the Holy Spirit. Um, in my little bio, you heard the word vineyard a couple times. Vineyard, we are, sometimes when we're trying to explain what vineyard is to people, we'll say we are evangelical and charismatic. That's a little complicated because, like, even what evangelical means is complicated, and then what does charismatic mean? But basically, we're people who like the Bible, which is good because I teach the Bible for a living, um, and we're people who are um, engaged with what the Holy Spirit's trying to do, and we care about that. I didn't grow up in that, though. I grew up in a context, I would say, even of a certain degree of fear of the Holy Spirit. So I grew up in fundamentalist evangelicalism in the Bible Belt in the U.S. in Texas. So, like, think really fundamentalist. That's what I grew up in. Um, yeah. And um, I grew up in this weird dynamic where my parents took me to churches that were, had Bible in their name, because that's what you do in Texas, um, and were what we call cessationists, so like didn't believe in the Holy Spirit's continuing work in any way. And beside that, my parents were actually, actually Pentecostals. So my parents had had a really painful experience in a Pentecostal church they had gone through spiritual abuse, and because of that, they were really scared of being publicly engaged in church with the Holy Spirit. So when they told me stories about it when I was little, um, they described it, uh, taking us out of the Pentecostal church, as being like Jesus not getting killed by a King Herod, is how they told the story. As a little kid, I was like, do Pentecostals kill people? Um, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess they don't kill people, but they must be real bad. Um, and so that was my experience in my head, was like, they're scary. Um, and I was at these churches that were like, yeah, Holy Spirit isn't still doing stuff. So I was like, okay. But then at home, when my parents prayed, they would pray in tongues. When my parents would talk about things, they would talk about like what the Spirit was doing. And I found it super confusing. 
So I, at one point I asked my mom, like, well, what, what, I don't understand. Like, we go to a church where you don't do this, but you do that at home. And she's like, well, um, <laughs> and she didn't really have an answer for me. So I was very confused. So I started asking lots and lots of questions about the Holy Spirit. I was that kid, you know that kid in Sunday school who always has their hand up, who's like asking six questions, and eventually you're like, it's okay, sweetie, you can stop asking questions. But I was just ask and ask and ask, especially about this. Now, I mean, I went on to become a Bible professor, so, you know, there's good reasons I like to ask questions, but about this particularly, I was really asking. Um... So by the time I got to university, I had gone through a process of sort of deconstructing what I believed. I didn't know what I believed at all. And I was still going to one of those churches that I'd grown up in, but I didn't feel like it fit anymore, and I didn't know what to do. I was in my new dorm room for the first time um, with my new roommate who I'd met the day before, and her friend came to visit, who I had never met before. She came in. And uh, my roommate left, and she was like, can I just hang out until your roommate comes back? And I was like, sure. I don't know this person at all. And while I'm sitting with her, just chatting, I hear this voice that says, she was just raped last night. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know what that is, why I think that, or what is, what is, what, what is that? So for a while, I just sort of ignored it but it felt pretty strong. And so I waited and I prayed in my head about whatever this was. And I was like, what is this? What should I do? And, um, and the response was, be kind. And so uh, we sat, we talked. My roommate didn't come back for like four hours for reasons unknown, except, I mean, maybe God, I don't know, but <laughs> she was gone for a long time. We kept talking and talking and about the last hour in, she said, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but last night I was raped. And I, don't know, I haven't told anybody. I don't even know why I'm saying this. But somehow I feel like I should say it to you. And I told her, I think God told me that earlier in our conversation and wants you to know that God loves you, sees you. And we sat and cried and prayed together. And so I went back to my church the following week. And I said, okay. So we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit doing stuff like this. But I think the Holy Spirit does stuff like this. Because I don't know who else would want me to care for this person in this way. And they were like, well, sometimes Satan talks to us. And I was like, wait, hold on a minute. Hold on a sec. You're going to believe that, the sat that Satan wants to help this person who's hurting to know that God sees them. And that makes no sense. And they couldn't give me an answer. And I was like, okay, I guess this church isn't for me anymore. So then I went in a search to figure out how could I find a place where they saw the Holy Spirit's work in healing and caring for others and believed that the Holy Spirit wanted to do that, actually cared about the lives of people. Um, and so this is part of that journey. By the way, that's a picture of me in university, in case you're curious why I have a random picture of me. That's me really styling that uh, 90s style 
late 90s, early 2000s. I, I got it. Um, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I thought it would make you all smile. Um, so uh, so I, I went through this journey. Eventually, I landed in the vineyard um, and found a space where the Holy Spirit um, was a part of how we do what we do. But also, the Holy Spirit wasn't treated like um, something that was big and loud and magical all the time, um, but something that could be quiet and simple and kind and peaceful. Um, and so that's been a part of me coming to where I am now. Um, and I think a big part of what was important to me in those spaces was realizing that the Holy Spirit isn't about what other people see. It's not about putting on a show. It's about those simple moments where you care for someone else and God helps you, guides you to do that. Now, there are dangers that can come with that. If my interaction with her had made her feel shame for what happened to her, if I used the language of God or the Holy Spirit to speak those words over her, I could permanently have hurt her. And I don't know what all your stories are, but I have definitely been in situations where the Holy Spirit and the language of the word of the Lord has been used to hurt people. And it's dangerous sometimes for us to tell others the Holy Spirit says blank without a whole process of deep discernment and care. Because we don't want to make ourselves the Holy Spirit. We want to be present for what God is doing and to the degree that we can, allow our preconceived ideas to step out of the way. Something that's really interesting as you look at the book of Acts is the early church keeps thinking it knows what God's doing and keeps getting surprised that that is not what God is doing <laughs> over and over again. People just start like, people over there that they didn't, just not part of the main church, start prophesying and they're like, I don't know what's going on. Maybe God has spoken to more people than we thought. And maybe the people we thought were on the outside are actually people God wants to speak to. So I think it's important for us to realize both the beauty and possible power in good ways of the Holy Spirit while not pretending like those things can't also hurt people. It's important, I think, to acknowledge that people sometimes claim the words of God in ways that can hurt others. And so as I talk about this, I want to I raise that as something that you may have experienced or heard about or seen, um, and I don't want to deny that that's a part of what the story is as we think about it. But the Holy Spirit's work is not intended to be painful or scary. The Holy Spirit, God, is, God has more for us. Um, if we remember that Precisely that what people are doing in this situation is hurting the Holy Spirit, that actually the Holy Spirit, God, hurts when people use God's words in this way or claim God's words in these ways. And that actually the Holy Spirit grieves in those situations. One of the most powerful moments for me in my life as someone who experienced trauma was when someone said to me, you know the Holy Spirit grieved at the pain that happened to you. And it helped to, for me to reframe that story. And I think when we look at the New Testament and we see Jesus and the way he loved and the way he cared for others, who, and he 
There were others who, there were groups of people who were harming others, and Jesus came to see them, to love them, to respect the ones who had been harmed. I think thinking of the Holy Spirit's continuing work, of the work of Jesus, helps us as we think about this. So who is the Holy Spirit? Acts 1 tells us something really important about who the Holy Spirit is and the relationship between the Holy Spirit and Jesus. The Holy Spirit follows as a gift from God to help us live out the way of Jesus. So we see this in how Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit at the start of Acts, and also how the disciples follow the Spirit's direction just as they follow Jesus's direction. But Acts 1 also points out that the Holy Spirit doesn't just show up after Jesus left. So it's not the case that it's like, there was God, the Father, there was Jesus, the Son, then there was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been part of the story from the very beginning. It's not that the Holy Spirit suddenly shows up and has never been there before. It's that the Holy Spirit shows up in a new way, in a new experience. And there's language about the Holy Spirit in Acts 1 talking about the Holy Spirit from the beginning with God. So if we think about how we see the Holy Spirit, we can see that the Holy Spirit continues what Jesus started. God wants to be with us. From the beginning, God created the world to be with us. And because the world was beautiful and important in itself and good. God continues to want to be with us. Jesus, as Jesus ascends and goes to be with the Father, the Holy Spirit comes because God's not done being with us and wants to experience, us to experience the life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so we see the Holy Spirit in the beginning as God creates the world, hovering over the waters, the holy breath of God, creatively ac activating the world, creating the world. And we see this glimpse of the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament. Now, the Holy Spirit is pictured in a few different ways, sometimes like wind or like breath. The word in both Hebrew and Greek is the word for <sighs> It's the breath, the, and that wind that blows. And so sometimes you'll hear God's breath or God's wind that came over something. And that'll often be connected to the Holy Spirit. It's also why Jesus breathes on the disciples to give them the Holy Spirit. Because, not just because he's like, heh, heh, but because he, like, he wants to, that's a part of, of conveying the Holy Spirit on them. The other picture of the Holy Spirit is like oil that drips down. Now this picture of oil was used in the ancient world to anoint people for particular jobs. So if you had a particular task, they'd use oil as a way of pouring it on your head, as a way of saying, here, you're doing this job. So if you were going to be king, they pour oil on your head to say, you are king. If you're going to be a priest, they pour oil on your head to say, you are a priest. If you're going to be a prophet, they pour oil on your head to say, you're a prophet. You get the picture. And so the idea is that not only did they physically pour oil on people's heads, but the Holy Spirit comes at the same time like that oil spreading down over and designating someone to do the work they're doing. We also have pictures of the Holy Spirit coming like a dove. Um, and I love that this picture connects us to the phys more, again, to like the physical creation, that God uses um, bird life uh, to show an aspect of who he is. All right. So how does this show up in the Old Testament? 
Well, the Old Testament has a few different depictions of the, of the Holy Spirit that I think are really important as we think about what is the Holy Spirit like. So I talked about the Holy Spirit transforming communities towards justice, yes? One of the first constant images after the Holy Spirit is part of creation is the Holy Spirit parting the waters of the Red Sea. Now, this particular situation is in the middle of an oppressive, of an oppressive government, of an, of an empire, who has been oppressing these people enslaved, the Israelite people enslaved in Egypt over a period of time. And the Holy Spirit comes, moves the creation itself, moves the waters, to create a space for the people to go free. That notion of liberation that comes to the Holy Spirit is really important because when we see Jesus coming, he also speaks of the freedom and liberation, the breaking of chains of oppression. And so when we see, hear this story, it can help us pick up this one piece, one of the pieces of the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit is about breaking the chains of oppression. The Holy Spirit also comes to the prophets, and when the Holy Spirit comes to the prophets, he encourages, through the prophets, right worship and right justice. Relationship with God and relationship with all of those around us. And so he draws people into what true righteousness is. I love to say that righteousness, we use that term and it kind of almost sounds like, oh, I'm super holy. But righteousness actually means right relatedness. So how you relate to God, how you relate to each other, how you relate to the land. Um, that's what righteousness in effectively means if you look at how it's kind of played out in the Old Testament and New Testament. He gives, the Holy Spirit gives comfort to the people. And the Holy Spirit is offered freely to all, all who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain of life. A welcome to all people. And we'll hear that welcome to all people again in Joel, which will be that key passage that you guys are going to be talking about for the rest of the time. The Holy Spirit also gives instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And this space, this tabernacle space that eventually becomes the temple, is a space because God wants to meet with us. God wants to be with his people. But what's really interesting and I think really cool is that when God does this, he doesn't just go, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit and put it into the tabernacle. But the people who actually paint, decorate, create those creatives the two ones who do the art of the tabernacle, those are the ones who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that creative activity that we see of the Holy Spirit at the very beginning of creation, we see again. Um, I love this idea of the creative work of the Holy Spirit, that God actually likes to give us, make things beautiful. I love that uh, our songs today, God loves to make things beautiful. Things that we might not even expect to be made beautiful, God can make beautiful through the work of the Holy Spirit. We also see um, in Joel the idea of the Spirit being poured out. And we have this image in Joel 2, the section you guys are going to be talking about, where God is depicted like a divine warrior. Sorry, got to say that right. Warrior, sorry. Apparently my Texan means that sometimes I say warrior. And then in class, one of my students was like, 
the divine lawyer? I was like, no, 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 warrior. Sorry, I'm, I, my Canadian is, got to fix that Canadian accent. Okay, so God, the divine warrior, and God who is king are the two images we have right before this. Now, I would like to point out that both of those images could potentially be problematic. Uh, there's a history of violence and imperialism associated with these two images. So when I get questioned, I love to talk about these two images a lot. And one of my feminist colleagues um, who works with women who've experienced domestic violence raised questions about king language and also about warrior, warrior language. And another, um, in another setting, when we were in, John and I were doing some teaching in the downtown east side in Vancouver with indigenous Christians. And they were like, um, could we talk about kingdom, king language a little here? One of the things I think is really powerful is that when we read these images by themselves, we can see the history of how people have misused them. But when we think of them in light of who Jesus was and what he did with them, it actually sh changes how we even understand these ideas. This is the king who was crucified. This isn't the king who was like, hey, I'm claiming all power for myself. This is the king who willingly gave up his life. This was the humble king. And so when we think about human beings trying to claim God's power and might for themselves, God clarifies repeatedly in the Old Testament that it is not by your power or might, but by the Holy Spirit. And the problem is, if we go, Okay, now I've got the Holy Spirit, so I have power and might. But that's not what it says. It says that the things we do are not of ourselves, not because of our power or our might, but because of the work the Holy Spirit wants to do with us. If we lean into that, it also breaks some of those tendencies towards seeking dominance and power for ourselves and trying to be the most powerful over someone else. And the path that gets there, which is often a path of violence, it rejects exactly those things because that is not the Jesus or the God we serve. And so God's kingdom is this flipped upside-down kingdom which redefines what power means and also encourages us towards what true justice means. And this leads us into the New Testament. One of the Gospels that has the most Holy Spirit language is the Gospel of Luke. Something I find really powerful is that the Gospel of Luke is also the Gospel that is most about outsiders. Luke himself, who likely wrote the Gospel of Luke, was an outsider. He was a Gentile. Um, he experienced what it was like to not be part of the initial chosen people and sort of try to figure out what does this look like, what does this gospel look like for me. But it means that he has beautiful depictions of women, beautiful people, picture, depictions of people who are outside of Israel, beautiful pictures of people who um, would have been ostracized and made to outsiders in, within the time period of Jesus. And we see Jesus again and again through the power of the Holy Spirit reaching out to those, exactly those people in Luke's gospel. Luke 4 quotes Isaiah 
to, as Jesus begins his ministry. And he talks about how the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, Isaiah had that picture that God wanted to transform the situation for those who had been marginalized, who had been hurt. God had work to do to transform their lives. And Jesus says, now this is happening right here. The Spirit of the Lord is working through Jesus to do this good work. And so even before we say, talk about Jesus and how the Spirit continues Jesus' work, the Spirit empowered Jesus' work while he was on earth. The work Jesus did was in line with what the Holy Spirit was doing that whole time. And so as we think about this, it can be really helpful for us, the Holy Spirit's work in healing. We see physical, spiritual, societal healing in this depiction. And healing and justice are joined through the work of the Holy Spirit, where healing extends past our personal needs. We are healed, and God's working on that. But God is also extending past that through us to those all around us. As we look at John, we see in John's gospel, as Jesus is about to uh, go to the cross, he talks about the continuing work of the Holy Spirit, and he says the following. So this is from John 14, 25 to 27. I said these things to you while I was still with you, but the advocate or the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all of what I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit's work, as we can hear in this, continues the work of Jesus. But I want to point something else out. Sometimes we cut that verse off and don't read the next one. The way that the Holy Spirit does this is through peace. The Spirit who is our comforter, who advocates for us. The work he does is to let our hearts not be troubled. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't grieve for the world that's hurting. Jesus also talked a lot about grieving for the world that's hurting. But that the Holy Spirit's work, first and foremost, is actually to draw us towards peace and also towards transformation. That those two things come together. And so, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't associate receiving the Spirit with knowing our sin or feeling ashamed or anything like that. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is the peace that he leaves with us. The Holy Spirit allows Jesus to be among us, with us, in us, working through us. So we can be his hands and feet for a hurting world. So we can be part of the peace that Jesus longs to give, not just to us, but to our neighbors. And I mentioned that this does not mean that we do not experience suffering or that we don't acknowledge the suffering we experience. 
In the book of Romans, the Holy Spirit is pictured amidst suffering. And the language in Romans 5 talks about how the Holy Spirit allows us to have hope even amidst our sufferings. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit's work is to pour out God's love over us so that we have hope in the midst of painful situations. So when we mourn and grieve alongside others in the world we're in, whether from our own pain or from the pain we walk alongside others in, the Holy Spirit keeps pouring out and saying, God loves you. God is working in you. God is with you. And that provides us with hope. When we think about Romans in the context of the ancient world, these were Christians who experienced intense persecution, violence. This is a word to encourage them for how the Holy Spirit would walk with them and be with them. So this takes us back, comes back to Acts. Acts 2, the passage you guys are going to be talking about for weeks to come. In it, Joel, we hear Acts 2 using Joel to speak of what is happening in the early church. The Holy Spirit that they have known through the Old Testament and through Jesus' ministry is now coming to them in a fresh way. The Holy Spirit comes to remind us of God's work to give us hope. And we see the Holy Spirit continuing the work of Jesus by healing hurt, transforming communities. And this includes a long list of the things we just talked about. Liberation that undoes imperial powers and societal violence. Creativity that stirs up the arts towards showing us what it is to have God with us. Calls to advocacy to speak truth against injustice. Speaking into our inner and outer hurts with love that's poured out with hope and with peace offering us ways to be part of the healing of the hurt around us while not becoming saviors ourselves. We are not lovely white saviors for those who are not white, um, whatever, uh, whatever ethnicity you are. We are not coming out as saviors ourselves. We are coming out as those who allow the Holy Spirit to work with us and through us humbly, like Jesus. And it is not our power, but the Holy Spirit's working in us. Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Spirit's words are given to everyone. I'm going to say that again. The Holy Spirit's words are given to everyone. The use of the passage from Joel is actually intended to emphasize this. The Holy Spirit comes, words are given to everyone, and it's in all of their own languages. Meeting them in their, in their ethnicity, meeting them in their culture meeting them where they are so that they can know this God who loves them, but also sends them out for the good of others. And we will see uh, through this series, you will see this highlighted as having real societal implications. Joel pictures the spirit being given equally to all kinds of diverse peoples. It's not doled out, 
based on gender, age, sexuality, ethnicity, status, or any other ways the society tried to define the people at the time. The work of the Spirit we see throughout the Old and New Testament inspires the early church community to draw near to one another, to work practically towards societal change, to speak words of encouragement, and to lean into transformation. So where does that leave us? I'd like to leave you with a few questions. As we talked through this big, huge story of the Holy Spirit throughout the Old and New Testament, were there particular images or stories of the Holy Spirit that resonated with you? And where does it seem like the Holy Spirit might be moving you? Personally? Towards your neighborhood? Towards grappling with various things in society around us? Maybe some combination of all of those. I'm going to end with us here. And I want to close this for this stage of the morning in prayer before we move into communion. Um, and I hope that those, continue, those questions continue to linger with you as you take those out. Um, I loved Amy's talk this morning about what does that look like for the earth that we're in, for the way we care for the environment that we have around us? What does that look like as we relate to the indigenous people around us? What does it look like when we talk to our neighbor who lives next door or down the, or down the street? What does it look like when we hit a place with our own lives, with our own story, where past trauma is really, really hurting us? How do we lean into the Holy Spirit in those moments? And what does it look like? So let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll move into communion. Holy Spirit, thank you for your work of peace and love. Please pour out your love and stir up in us creativity, that hope for change. Encourage us to see ourselves as you see us truly. Lord, I pray um, that you would be working in the lives of everyone here, whether they are in places of joy or struggle, whether they're walking through shadows, pain, loss, or they are excited for some new thing that you've been doing. Lord, I pray that you would work with this community to bless each other, but also to bless the neighborhood around them, to be part of that transformation that you have for the world. In your holy name.